0: Thanks for joining the Inspired Churches podcast. If this is your first time listening in, we're glad you're here. For more information about our church, visit www.inspiredchurches.com. Now, let's listen to the word from Pastor Philip Mueller. Matthew chapter 5, 13 through 16. If you remember a few weeks ago, we ended, uh, we started the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. Remember the eight? characteristics of a Christian blessed are those who mourn blessed are those who are poor in spirit and there are eight of them and now we're entering into the next section of the Sermon on the Mount um, and your Bible probably titles this portion salt and light which I think is really uh, perfect for our scenario this morning so if you have your sh- if you have your Bibles and we'll have it up here on the screen for you Matthew chapter 5 13 through 16. Scripture says this, you are the salt of the earth. This is Jesus talking to his disciples. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We can stop there. It's evident that although we may be skeptical on the type of impact God's people can have on the world, Jesus was not skeptical. And from these three verses, we can conclude three things. From these verses that I just read, there are three things that we can conclude. Number one, are you ready for this? Jesus intended the church to dominate the world. I know dominate's kind of a hard word. What do I mean by that? Listen to this. By calling a handful of Palestinian peasants salt of the earth and light of the world, Jesus indicated just how far-reaching he wanted his influence to go through them. Jesus was thinking global. We need to think global. Number two. Jesus was going to dominate the world not by war but through truth and love. Listen. Christ's call to the church to be salt and light to the world immediately followed by the immediately followed the Beatitudes that suggested the world. I'm going to say actually I'm going to say this again. Christ's call to the disciples to be salt and light immediately follows his call and immediately follows him telling his disciples that they would be persecuted by the world. If you remember that. The last beatitude was that, blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. Who remembers that? And so Jesus says, blessed are you who are persecuted for my name's sake. Then he says, you are the salt and the light of the world. Well, what do I mean by that? I mean this. No matter what the world does to the church, the church will always serve the world. Jesus says, blessed are you when you are persecuted for my name's sake, but you still will be the salt, and you still will be the light of the world. Even when the world hates you, you will serve the world. Are you with me? And lastly, if the Beatitudes describe the Christian's character, then salt and light are metaphors used to describe a Christian's influence. The Beatitudes describe the Christian's character. These are the eight elements of a Christian and how they should act then salt and light describes how a Christian's influence should be. And do you know the biggest way a Christian can have influence? Are you ready for this? Christians get influence through distinction. When people look at them and say, wait a minute, you are responding differently. There's something about you that you're walking in. You guys understand that? Let's start off with the metaphor salt. Jesus says you are... The salt of the earth. It's interesting that Jesus decided to use a condiment when referring to his disciples. One that makes french fries that much more tastier. Amen for salt. (laughs) Unless you're on the Daniel fast. In which case you can do sea salt. We used to go to Wendy's on our Daniel fast and get french fries because that kind of fit. They have sea salt. (laughs) For those of you who ever Daniel fast, it's pretty funny because after a while, you just start focusing on the food and like everyone starts becoming like food police. No, you know, you can't have that. (laughs) It's not bread. It's (laughs) it's bread. All right. Anyway. Some of you like what? Trust me. It's okay. But Jesus uses the metaphor of a condiment when referring to his disciples. Now, today's salt is most recognized as a seasoning that helps make food taste better, enhances the taste. But here's the interesting thing is before it was really recognized as seasoning or before it was uh, really kind of praised as seasoning, it was most known and most praised for as being a preservative, especially in a time when refrigeration didn't exist. So this means that salt kept meat wholesome. Amen to that. Salt kept meat wholesome. And guess what salt did? It delayed the decay process of the meat. So before it was recognized as a seasoning, it was recognized as a preservative. So when Jesus refers to his people, his disciples, his church, churches, salt, he's saying two things. First, he's saying something regarding the earth. Interesting what he says regarding the earth. The natural trajectory of this earth is to decay away like rotten meat. Pretty harsh. So when Jesus calls his people and his disciples, you are the salt of the earth, he's saying salt is a preservative. You are a preservative to the earth who's like a meat that rots quickly. You with me? In other words, left alone, this world will spoil In selfishness and sin, but he's also saying a second thing regarding the church. Here's what he's saying regarding the church: the church has been placed on this earth on purpose, like meat cured with salt, in order to hinder and delay the decay of this world. Is that powerful? Listen, this is going to be really strong, but I want you to hear this. God intends the most powerful of all restraints within sinful society to be his own redeemed, regenerate and righteous people. God intends the most powerful of all restraints within sinful society to be his own redeemed, regenerate and righteous people. Do you know we have governments? We have police forces. Do you know those are all blessings from the Lord? You know, Scripture tells us that. And he puts them in place so they would carry a righteous sword and that they would uphold the law. Those are organizations and elements in society that help keep order. But did you know greater than that is the church? A man by the name of R.V. Tasker says this. The disciples are to be a moral disinfectant in a world where moral standards are low, constantly changing or non-existing. I read that again. The disciples are to be a moral disinfectant in a world where moral standards are low, constantly changing or non-existent. Here's a powerful thought. The description of Christ's disciples as salt immediately follows and I said this early the warning that the disciples will be persecuted by the world. In other words, this bears repeating even if the world hates the church, the church is always called to preserve the world. When it's all said and done, the church is the salt of the world. Are you are you with me? Now here's the challenge. You ready for the challenge? Jesus says, if salt loses its taste, somebody say, uh. Oh. <laughs> If salt loses, it, it's not a Philip preaching unless you get a little slap in the face, right? If salt loses its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? As Christians, we are warned by Jesus not to lose our saltiness. Now, when I say salty, some of you have a tendency to think about being bitter and upset. <laughs> Jesus is the originator of being salty, and it does not mean what you think it means. So when someone says, be salty, you say, amen. (laughs) Thanks, Mom. Now, listen, I was reading about sodium chloride, and um, I found out that it's a very stable chemical, um, and it's resistant to almost nearly any attack. It's a pretty, pretty stable chemical. But as I investigated further, like I'm, you know, this big investigator, but as I looked further, I found that, listen to this, the one way that it can be contaminated is when it's mixed together with outside impurities. I could just stop. (laughs) That preaches. See, when it's mixed together with outside impurities, it can look like salt, but it neither tastes nor preserves like salt any longer. You see, Christians' saltiness is in direct correlation with the Christian's character outlined in the Beatitudes. Our words, our deeds, and our continual commitment to growing in Christ-likeness point to just how salty we are. Now watch. These things are achieved through discipleship, through a commitment to prayer and the study of God's word, but they can be forfeited by the commingling With impurities of this world. If you're going to have. The kind of influence. That stops the world from decay. The kind of influence. That Christ intended the church to have. Then you're going to have to live a life. Set apart. Not identical to the ways of this world. We have. Ready for this. We have to rid ourselves once and for all. Of this straddling the fence Christianity. Christianity. Because that's the kind of salt, Jesus says, is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, I was kind of preparing this week, and this phrase kept coming to me, nominal Christianity. As I was kind of reading through this, it just kept coming to me, nominal Christianity. The word nominal kept coming to my mind. So I decided to look the word nominal up. Here's what I found. This is what nominal means. Being such in name only. Very small, far below the real value or cost. Synonyms include alleged, (laughs) pretended, so-called, in name only. I want you to know what America needs is salt. What Union City needs is salt. What your family needs is salt. What your friends need is salt. What Syria needs is salt. What the Bay Area needs is salt. What Hayward needs is salt. What San Jose, San Leandro, San Lorenzo, and Fremont needs is salt. But what good is salt if it loses its saltiness? Jesus goes on to say, you are the light of the world. Now, just like meat without preservation It'll eventually decay, so a room without light will get dark. And what this light is, and what this light is, Jesus ultimately clarifies, is our good works. But in Scripture, light is also common. It's a common biblical symbol for truth. So if salt is about reflecting the character of Christ to the earth, then light is about proclaiming the truth of the gospel of Jesus to the world. Are you with me? If we are to be followers of Christ, then we are to be a people who tell others about Jesus. Romans 10, 12 through 15 says this, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. I've heard this said before. I've heard this said before. Maybe you've heard it. Preach the gospel at all times and use words if necessary. This saying is meant to elevate the idea that actions speak louder than words. But as amazing as this saying sounds, it kind of misses the point. As Christians, we are light of the world, which means we are responsible for caring in action and proclaiming in word the truth of God. We can't be the light God intended us to be if we are silent. I was uh, Christopher's on vacation Um and he was sharing with me a story um, the other day that I thought was really challenging. He w- um, took an Uber. Anybody Uber in here? So he took an Uber, and uh, he was riding along in Uber with a Muslim man. And the Muslim man began to um, tell him about his religion. And the Muslim man began to say, "Hey, you know what? The Christians don't even know Jesus. They say they worship Z- Jesus, but they don't even know." That was his opening line. And he began to share with Christopher. The true Jesus according to the Quran. And as Christopher told me, and poor guy, I'll tell him later, I'll tell this story, but um, I didn't ask for his permission. Um, but he told me that he sat there kind of frozen, but he sat there challenged because here he was a Christian who, d- who wasn't sharing his faith, but there was a Muslim sharing his faith to him. And how many Christians do we have that we ride around in our Ubers, we walk around in our daily lives, we know our friends and our co workers we haven't shared the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. He said it challenged him so much that the next time he got in an Uber, he was ready. (laughs) So I do have to give him some props there. But here's what Romans chapter 1 verse 16 says. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Regarding being a light. A man by the name of Martin Luther said this. This is what Martin Luther said when he was talking about being a light. Matthew does not have in mind the ordinary works that people should do for one another out of love. Rather, he is thinking principally about the distinctly Christian work of teaching correctly, of stressing faith and showing how to strengthen and preserve. This is how we testify that we are really Christians. Christians. Now, although I believe that being the light is loving one another, I also agree that being the light is part of our Christian duty to spread the truth of Jesus. This is what I mean when we call Inspire Church a missional church. We exist as a church to display and declare who God is to the world. We exist to display and declare God's goodness and his glory. If you take this particular salt and light metaphor that Jesus is making and apply it to our city and apply it to our context, this is what we're longing for. That inspired church will be a church that reaches people for Jesus. That when people would think of Inspire, they would think of a church that shares the gospel, preaches the truth of God's word, and spreads the light of love of Jesus wherever they go. That people would say, Union City is a more righteous city because Inspire lives there. Somebody's got to get excited. I know there's about eight of you. But please, let me say this, sits gets me excited. I want people to say Union City is being preserved. It's not decaying. And there's light in that city. It's a more righteous city today than it was yesterday because Inspired Church exists in that city. I don't have a lot of energy, but I get it. But that's not the only thing we need to be known for. We're a reaching church, but we're also a church that builds people in Jesus. We not only want our light to shine, but we also want to train people to be a little saltier. You see our heart is not just for Union City to become less dark because we exist, but our heart is that Union City will be well preserved because we exist. That the decay of our city would be delayed because people like Miguel and Jermaine are going out there. Do you understand that? Because God is raising up people, and I know they didn't do this for that, but God is raising up people within our church that are having a heart to love, to reach, to preach the gospel. That The decay of the city is being delayed because there's a God-fearing church. Are you with me? And I want to conclude, I'm going to invite the team up. I want to conclude this morning with a, a couple of thoughts, and as they come up, I think I'm going to go down. Uh oh, right. <laughs> Somebody says you're going to preach the you're going to preach the you know you're going to conclude, but you probably preach for another 20 minutes. I promise, I'm going to do my best. I hear my wife laughing too, so baby, just give me the look. But here's what I want to conclude with you this morning. I think there's kind of three major lessons that we can kind of pull from in this salt and light metaphor. So I want to just kind of share them with you as we end today. I think I'm doing a pretty good job, by the way, with time. First thing I want you to know if you're taking notes, and it's really simple, there is a difference between Christians and non-Christians. Blending is not a witness tool. Can I say that? Come on, say it. Hello? Hello? Some of the old school Christians have been around for a while. Love that. Some of the millennials are like, wait, wait a minute. I thought that was a cool tool. <laughs> Blending and looking like the world is not your best witness component. What good is salt if it loses its saltiness? Wow. There is a difference between Christians and non-Christians, between the church and the world. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> Somebody once told me, when you plant your church and you start it up, you want greeters, you want kids' ministry, you want to do all these great things, the only thing you want to offend people with is the gospel. Everything else has got to be great, smile, serve coffee, or whatever, but if they get offended, it's okay if they're offended by the gospel. So I'm okay to... Between the church and the world, there's a difference. Jesus said there's a difference as much as light is from darkness. As different as salt is from decay, there's a difference. And we serve neither God well nor this world well when we attempt to minimize or erase this distinction. One of the biggest tragedies throughout church history has been the church's tendency sometimes to conform to the popular culture instead of standing strong and always being that beautiful counterculture God has always intended us to be. In fact, the upside-down kingdom, and specifically the Sermon on the Mount, is based upon the idea that Christians are different and that these distinctions will attract people to Jesus. Number two, along with the call of distinction comes the responsibility that distinction places upon us all. So not only are we called to be different, But we have a responsibility that goes hand in hand with the call. Here's something heavy. As the church of Jesus, we cannot fail the world that we are called to serve. The church can't fail the world. We cannot. The world may fail us, but we cannot fail the world. We are salt, and so we must do what we can to retain our saltiness. And we are light, so we must let our light shine before man. Not allowing it to be hidden by our fear. Not allowing it to be hidden by our compromise. Not allowing it to be hidden by our sin. Not allowed, not allowing it to be hidden even by our laziness. I think laziness is a bigger issue than we think. You know what I, I, was, I put in there? There is no laziness in the kingdom. I love this quote and I find it very relevant to our country's current climate. So listen up. What message do we have? What message do we have then for such people who feel themselves strangled by the system, crushed by the machine of modern technocracy, overwhelmed by political and social and economic forces which control them and over which they have no control? They feel themselves victims of a situation they are powerless to change. What can they do It is in the soil of this frustration that revolutionaries are being bred, dedicated to the violent overthrow of the system. It is from the very same soil that revolutionaries of Jesus can also arise. Equally dedicated activists, even more so, but committed rather to the spread of his revolution of love, joy, and peace. And this peaceful revolution is more radical than any program of violence, both because its standards are incorruptible and because it changes people as well as structures. Have we lost our confidence? Have we lost our confidence in the power of the gospel of Christ? With his single word, I can be more defiant and boastful than they with all their power, swords, and guns. So we are not helpless and powerless after all. For we have Jesus Christ, his gospel, his ideals, and his power, and his promise to be with us. And Jesus Christ is salt, and he is light this dark and rotting world needs. But we must have salt in ourselves, and we must have light to shine. finally, we have a call, we have a responsibility, and so what does that look like practically? Last three things, a couple of practical things. Number one, we got to be more courageous and more outspoken in condemning evil. We got to have a spine, Christians. We need to be more courageous and more outspoken in condemning evil. And wise, though, right? We gotta throw wisdom in there, right? We don't need these foolish fools just yelling anger. We need to be more wise, more courageous, and more outspoken in condemning evil. Even though condemnation is negative, but sometimes salt has a bite, especially when it's rubbed in a womb. Remember, Jesus didn't call us to be the honey of the world, He called us to be the salt. Are you with me? Number two, we have a responsibility as God's church to hold our systems and our officials accountable. Wow. Yeah. You see, we are in a country where we vote. We get to say, if you're 18 and over, you should be an individual. Simon and I were talking about this before, and I was really empowered this year. Even though I was had such turmoil over the presidential election, I was more empowered to look into the local initiatives than ever before. We have a responsibility as God's church to hold our systems and officials accountable if they allow us. However small our part may be, we cannot opt out of seeking to create a better social structures, which guarantee justice and legislation and law enforcement, the freedom and dignity of all individuals, civil rights for minorities, the abolition of social and racial discrimination. We must be a people of life. We must. We must be a people of life. From womb to the tomb, we must be a people of life. And you know what? Here's the money. Here's where you put your money where your mouth is. If you're gonna be life, then the church better be ready to adopt. I honor people like Pastor Sherry and Junior. That we need to be a church that's ready to adopt. We need to be a church that's ready to give financially to some people that can't support and raise children. If we are going to be a people of life, we need to follow through with that to the very end. What can Inspire Church do as we grow? Who in here, God, has given you a ministry for life? How how can we adopt? How can we, wouldn't that be cool if we had a church full of people who just, their their mission and their ministry was to adopt? Whenever Christians are conscientious citizens, they are acting like salt in their community. And finally, lastly, we must be committed to reaching people for Christ, to building people in Christ. Ask yourself these questions. Are you ready? Number one, are you reaching people for Christ? Is there someone today who is one step closer to knowing Jesus Christ because you're their friend? I'd I'd say this again because this wasn't intended to be exciting. This was intended to make some of you listen. Is there someone today who is one step closer to knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior than a year ago because they know you? That means for some of us that have been church all our lives and we don't have any friends that don't know Jesus. I don't, you need to get out more. You need to be a little more loving and you need to be genuinely interested in your neighborhood genuinely interested in your neighbors i once heard a pastor say this don't invite someone to church until you have invited them over to your house for dinner what if we just became a church like that i know that's tough because people got to come into your personal space come on get salty (laughs) the right way reaching are we a reaching people is there someone closer to knowing jesus than they were a year ago because you are their friend Number two, got to build people. And I'm speaking to some mature Christians in here. You've been a Christian for a couple of years. Here it is. Is there someone or what new Christian have you taken under your wing? You know how many hungry Christians are in this building that have been new for a couple of years, maybe a couple of months? They want to know how to read their word. They want to know more about the gospel. They're so hungry and they want to know more. And we have small groups, and we, but they want to know more. And if you think that that's the pastor's job and you're to sit here and just be a Christian that's just getting big and fat spiritually and you don't do nothing, then you're missing the point. If you've been a Christian for a while, you should be taking a young Christian to lunch, to dinner, and to praying with them and teaching them to pray, teaching them to read the word. We do this together. We reach people and we build people. It's not all the pastor's job. You know, I'm the pastor, so this is going to sound weird. But I, I... In the past, there are a lot of pastors and families that have been hurt because the church sat down and let him do all the work. And so the wife and the kids get the seconds. They get the leftovers of the pastor. Not Inspire, not my kids, not my wife. We will raise up members who will be ministers. That's why, again, I can't say enough. That's why I appreciate the men and even the women who got up yesterday to feed the homeless. We will raise up people who will say it's not just the past. I am called Are you with me? And if you're still growing in your faith, here's my question to you. What mature Christian are you meeting with on a regular basis to encourage you and teach you how to grow in your faith? It goes both ways. God is so good. His word is so good. And you know what's really cool about his word? His word can cut you, but it hurts so good. Right? You know you've been, like, disciplined by Jesus when you still walk out of it and you feel loved? That's a good thing. So here's what I want to do. I just want to pray over everyone here, and I want to pray over Inspire. Can we be a salty church? <laughs> can we be a church that shines? Can we be a lighthouse in the city? And can your homes be little lighthouses in your neighborhood? Father, everyone bow your heads. Father. I thank you for what you're stirring up in this house. I thank you for what you're doing in this house. I pray for everyone in this building. Pray that we'd be a saltier people. We'd be a brighter people. I pray, Lord God, that we would be a people in tune to your word, more in tune in your word than we are in whatever else is going on. We'd be a missional people. We'd be a people on mission. Some of us will go across the seas. Most of us will go across the streets. But either way, we will share the love of Jesus. I pray for anyone who's fearful, anyone who's scared. If there's any young Christians in here say, man, I just don't know what to do next. I pray that you would would, uh, bring together divine appointments, mature Christians, younger Christians sitting together, eating together, growing together. I pray that we'd be a distinct people. We'd be a different people. I pray over Union City right now in the name of Jesus. I pray the surrounding region, the Bay Area. I pray that the Bay Area's decay would slow because there is a church, multiple churches, thousands of churches in this area that are moving for the kingdom. And lastly, I pray for everyone in this building. God is birthing something in ministries and people's hearts. They don't have to wait for a pastor or a church to tell them to go. Jesus already said go. I pray that you would raise up ministries in here. I thank you for everyone in this building. And may your word cut like it, it can only cut. May it convict like it can convict, but may it also heal and bind up the wounds and bring joy and peace and strength like it can. So, God, we love you so much. Pray you'd be a, just be blessed. In Jesus' name we pray. Inspired Churches aims to be a church that the city loves. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Come back next week as Pastor Philip continues on the six-part series. For more information about how you can get involved or about our community, visit www.inspirechurches.com.